0: Um, hey, if you have your Bible open to Matthew chapter 1, what we're going to do this morning is um, we're, we're going to, uh, through this Advent season, we're going to walk through uh, Matthew chapters 1 and 2. And this is how we're going to celebrate Advent together as we're getting ready for the coming of Christ. This is our way to kind of um, step in the steps that Jesus did and, and all the events that took place leading up to um, the birth of Jesus. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 1. And I, like, uh, I feel like, you know, it's, it's always exciting coming into Christmas season, um, I feel like. Maybe someone would disagree with that. Christmas is great. It's exciting. And I, I kind of have this sense, like, this is going to be the year, you know? Like, last Christmas was a bit of a downer in some ways, right? And, and we've all had problems. But this is the one that we're all kind of ramping up for, getting excited, like, okay, we're going to do it right this Christmas. You know, some of us... Um, didn't get together with family. Some of us were uninvited from family last year. Um, I remember last year as we were decorating the church and everything, remember we a year ago decorated our um, church building for Christmas, had one Sunday in the room together, and then we took a break for like a month um, or so for COVID reasons, and it just felt like such a such a downer. I mean, just going online then we were outside just felt like, oh, all this anticipation and like I feel like often Christmas never really, like, lives up to all of the expectations that we put on it, right? I mean, it's just like, um, even as a kid, right, you want those gifts, and there's a few good years where the, the big gifts that you want are cheap and, and easy for you to identify. And then you get older, and you don't, nobody knows what to get you. You don't know what to ask for yourself, and you end up with socks. And it's fine. It's great. Um, but, you know, it just, Christmas never quite lives up the hype. And I think that's actually a thing. Like, every good Christmas movie is about how... Christmas ultimately is kind of disappointing and we've got to dig around and find the the meaning of Christmas in the midst of all the mess that Christmas ends up being, right? Um, One of my favorite Christmas songs is by Sufjan Stevens and it's called That Was the Worst Christmas Ever and it's the best Christmas song ever but the title is a huge downer and the whole thing is like he's out shoveling snow and um, dad gets really mad and throws the presents into the wood stove and it's just really a depressing song but it's lovely and it's great. You guys should definitely listen to it. But it's, it's calling up that idea of, man, all these expectations that we have for Christmas and then it never really lives up to what we want it to. And part of that, I think maybe the biggest part of that is because Christmas is often about family, okay? Family is amazing. Family is also really broken and really dangerous and really um, just can be so problematic often. So one of the things um, in my childhood is, probably like my teen years actually, is um, we, we, uh, we'd have summers off, of course, because that's what happens. And with both parents working, you end up with a lot of time at home watching TV. And TV used to be you didn't get to just watch whatever you want. It used to be that it would just come at you. Like, whatever's on is what's on. And that leads to my sisters and I watching episodes of Jerry Springer together. <laughs> so if you guys have ever seen Jerry Springer, if you haven't, like don't even Google it, OK? It's not great. Um, but you go and you watch, and the whole thing with Jerry Springer is, like, everything is, like, just as outrageous as it could possibly be, and then, like, another step up from that, you know? And so it's all, and, but so much of the dysfunction comes around family. There's, like, one or two other key things where the dysfunction came in. I won't even mention them in church, but you guys know. Um, <laughs> and family was the big one. So I, like, Christmas episodes of Jerry Springer were things like, here's one of the titles, Holiday Hell with My Feuding Family, Okay. And some of you are like, yeah, that's not just TV, that's reality, okay. Um, or how about Merry Christmas, dot dot dot, it's over. All right, that's another Jerry Springer thing. <laughs> family is so dysfunctional that we can make it into this big thing in Christmas time like this happens. And so here's the thing: Matthew starts his Christmas story. He walks through, he starts it with a whole bunch of family. Okay, he starts the Christmas story with the story that comes before, and the many stories before, and he walks through a genealogy. Now, some of you are perking up because you're like, I've been wondering when we were going to have a genealogy sermon at this church. So congrats, guys. Enjoy it while you can. Here's the genealogy sermon. I hope you love it as much as you hoped you would. Um, but he walks through, and everything in this, um, in this genealogy is talking about family. And family always means beauty, welcoming, welcoming uh, belonging, and also brokenness. Um, And that's what we're going to see as we walk through. And so we've called our our Advent series, we're talking about Strong and Weak, because through this whole story, starting in the genealogy and moving through, what we see is all sorts of power dynamics at play. So we're going to see this week a long line of kings peaking, coming to its conclusion in the most unimpressive way possible. We're going to see a little bit later a king who desperately, murderously, like tries to retain his power by attacking helpless babies. Um, we're going to see these like wealthy, mystical figures, the, the wise men, the magi, traveling on a pilgrimage, coming and kneeling before a baby, being born in a barn. Um, we'll see the true king, the king of all kings, entering the world in a way that is just like totally and completely vulnerable and weak and at the mercy of other people to care for him. Constantly subverting power dynamics is what we see. And what we're going to find is we're going to see people all along the way in these couple of weeks, all along the way, who are either seeing what's really there, identifying what's really happening, or missing it completely. And so the invitation for us is going to be to see what's really there, to see everything be subverted, and to see what's really happening in the King of Kings and Jesus coming to earth. And so, no further ado, let's jump into this genealogy, shall we? Let's just tear right in, okay? The key thing, it starts like this. Matthew starts his whole gospel. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham okay? And he starts it like this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The word genealogy, like the, the word is actually Genesis, is like what he uses. And so uh, so Matthew is giving us the Genesis of Jesus. It's like a new creation is happening. Here's the start of it all, and here's how it happened with Jesus. And he ties it right off the bat to these two figures. He calls on the son of David and the son of Abraham. And so the son of David was like the king. He was the one, like when God brought his people into this like healthy place, into the promised land, gave them the kingdom. King David was on the throne, and that's when things were at their high point. David was this man after God's own heart, and so he ruled God's people, and so Jesus is this descendant of David, the kingly figure that's coming to fix everything. And he's also the son of Abraham, and Abraham was the one where God was going to fix everything that's wrong with humanity, and so he takes this one man, Abraham, calls him away from his people, away from his land, and says, come. Live here. I'm going to um, make make your descendants like the stars in the sky, and I'm going to bless all of the nations through you. And so it's one man who's going to become this massive family, and God's going to heal the world. And so Matthew is setting us up. Okay, here is the genesis of Jesus. Here's this new creation that I'm starting. And it looks like, man, he's the son of David, and he's the son of Abraham. And we're just thinking, okay, this is going to be really, really good. But Matthew was a good storyteller. And so even in the names, That he lists as he goes through, he's gonna make this theological point about it all. Now, to to get into that more, I wanna jump to the last verse of this genealogy. This is in verse 17. And here's how he kinda closes it, okay? He says, So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So Matthew is cluing us in, and he's saying, look, I'm, I'm writing it this way on purpose. I'm, he's, like, proud of, I think, the math that he did in this. And he wants to highlight it and see, like, did you guys notice the 14s? Like, please pay attention to the 14s. And so these are here because he's telling the story in such a way that he's trying to highlight the kingship of Jesus. And he highlights these two events. So it starts with Abraham, and it leads down to Jesus. And in between, there's these two kind of pivot points in the middle. And the first is King David, okay? It's the kingdom, it's the kingdom of God at its high point when God gave his people the kingdom and David ruled and God was there in the temple living in their midst. This is the high point. And the other pivotal moment that comes is this deportation to Babylon, meaning the moment that Israel lost their kingdom. They strayed from God, they rejected him, they went away from him. And so eventually God said, okay, if you're going to reject me, I'm pulling you away from the promised land, away from the kingdom. And they lost the kingdom and they went into Deportation. So Matthew tells the origin story of Jesus in such a way that it starts with Matthew, it goes to the high point of the kingdom, it comes to this absolute low point of the deportation and the loss of the kingdom, and then it comes quietly sneaking back up to the restoration of the kingdom in Jesus. In Y14, I mean, there's all this... Um, you can get really conspiracy theorists with it, to be honest, but, um, but, but what happens is there's a thing called Hebrew gematria, where they take, like, these numbers and whatever, and they instill them with significance. So we can see things like the number three has significance in Scripture, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, there's angels that are proclaiming God as holy, 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 and so the three has all the significance. Seven, there's seven days of creation. Seven days is like, um, seven is like this number of completeness and fullness. You read the Revelation, and every there's like seven of everything rolling through, and so it's just this full complete number and so here we have um matthew telling this story in such a way that it's seven but it's like two sevens you know 14 it's like double complete and he tells it three different times and the whole thing he's just saying like look how amazing and if you want to go conspiracy theory if you count up in the hebrew the numerical value of david's name dvd it adds up to 14 so Totally telling us um, something significant here, okay? This is the point. Now, here we go. Let's dive into these names, shall we? You guys want me to just read these off, but I made a nice little list so you can see so we don't have to do the whole father of thing a million times, okay? But here's the list, all right? And here's this first journey that Matthew takes us on, the first journey of fourteens. This one goes from the promise to Abraham up to David. So Abraham, remember, was an old guy. And, and I don't think I'm offending anybody in here because he was like 100 years old, okay? So you're not old if you're not 100 yet. And if you are, you probably don't mind me saying so. So 100 years old, and he didn't have any kids, and God's telling him, I'm gonna make your descendants like the stars in the sky and every family on earth, every nation on the earth is gonna be blessed through you. And God takes this old man, 100 years old, and gives him a child and builds this family. And so it's this, this thread from the promise to Abraham that he's gonna start something big, leads all the way up to... All these descendants that become a kingdom of God in the midst of the world with their king, their righteous king, ruling over them. It's a beautiful, high picture. But even in this, it's going to get a little Jerry Springer, okay? Even in this. So Abraham, we go from Abraham, we go to Isaac. There's plenty of, like, seedy things in their stories. We get to Jacob, and Jacob is the the shadiest one yet, okay? So Jacob is the one who, like, he's the second born, so he's not going to inherit as much in his family But Esau, his brother, the firstborn, comes in super hungry, starving, and he's like, you know, you say, like, man, I'd kill for something to eat right now. Like, I'd sell my birthright for something to eat, and Jacob's like, I'll make you some soup and sell it to you if you want to give me your birthright. So really, you know, opportunistic, smart, definitely, but not, like, super ethical. And then later, when Isaac is going to give his blessing to Esau, Jacob slips in, sneaks in, takes advantage of his blind old father, um, lies to him and everything, and steals the blessing. So he's, he's not great. I mean, he's just not great. Jacob is not. He's, he's wily. He's crafty. He's a little bit deceitful. Um, and yet he is the one. Jacob is the one. God changes his name to Israel, and he becomes the father of the nation of Israel. The 12 tribes are his 12 sons of Jacob, and God is working something interesting, fascinating, complex through um, Jacob. Then, Jacob, one of Jacob's sons is Judah, so Jacob and his brothers, and Judah is like, we know Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, so it's a big deal that Jesus descended from Judah. It's respectable to be from the tribe of Judah, but Judah, okay, let me just put it like this. Joseph was the the youngest son of these 12, and Judah was the noble older brother who, when his brothers were like, you know what? We hate Jacob, or we hate Joseph. When he comes out to us, let's kill him and tell our dad that an animal ate him. And all the brothers were like, yeah, let's do that. Let's kill him. And Judah was like this noble man that stepped up and said, like, guys, let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery instead, you know? <laughs> so that Judah, the voice of reason, okay, with his brothers, that instrument is instrumental in selling off his brother into slavery. Um, Judah who, like, man, they, they, like, they, he's not great in that. And then here's what happens. It says this, Judah and his brothers had, or Judah and his brothers, but Judah had... Perez, and it says he had and Tamar, or and Zerah by Tamar, okay? So now our ears should perk up, because in a genealogy like this, you're not, in the ancient world, you're not supposed to have women in these genealogies. It's it's the men, it's the line, it's all these kinds of things. But here Matthew is being subtle, and he's slipping in, um, that Judah had Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And then we ask, okay, well, who was Tamar? And so what is she doing in this thing? Well, Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law yeah that's right daughter-in-law okay so she was married to judah's son then her husband judah's son dies and so um poor tamar is like in a bad spot as a widow in that world there's no one to provide for her there's no one to give her descendants and so she's just like left socially floating and kind of in a hazard of place judah says don't worry when my older son gets of age you can marry him he'll carry on the family line but then judah does not follow through on that So poor Tamar is just hanging out by herself, just just hopeless or whatever. She channels her inner Jacob, and she gets crafty. And so she goes, she pretends to be a prostitute. And um, she goes, and she, um, Judah comes along, takes advantage of the whole pretending to be a prostitute situation. I won't tell you what that means, but you guys can figure it out if you want to. And Tamar gets pregnant from her father-in-law, okay? And she has two babies, Perez, and Zara, right? And, and she has to trick her father-in-law and let her keep the baby and all that stuff. So anyways, this is crazy. This is seedy. This is total Jerry Springer stuff. Like it absolutely is, okay? You know, the, the episode would be called like, um, you know, help, my stepdaughter is pregnant with my baby. You know, like, like <laughs> that's what the episode would be and it would be crazy. And yet here it is. And Matthew could have passed it over, right? He could have skipped all that. He could have done it. But what does he do? He calls attention specifically to put Tamar in there. And I think it brings value to Tamar. I, I, think it, I think it casts shade on Judah for sure. It brings some value to Tamar. And what it does is it shows Jesus is the king, the Messiah, the one that's going to bring healing. He's the one that's going to be truly righteous. How did he come to us? He came through this dark, seedy, sketchy, disgraceful story. But he comes to us nonetheless. Judah. It mentions Judah and his brothers. These are the 12 tribes of Israel. Have you ever thought, how did the 12 tribes of Israel come about? They're Jacob's sons. So Jacob married Rachel, but before that, he was tricked into marrying Leah, which is a whole other story. And the two of them, Leah and Rachel, um, have this battle to see who can have the most kids to Jacob, and including like, okay, here's my servant, like have some kids with her. Here's my servant, have some kids with hers. This is how the 12 tribes of Judah come about. It's sketchy, and it's disgraceful, and it's gross, and yet it's mentioned in the genealogy. Then we see another woman down here, Boaz, Um, is, you know, the daughter or the son of, let's see, how does it, I I don't I made it easy for myself, but I made it, you know what I'm saying, somebody had a baby with with Rahab, okay, (laughs) it's right in the text, you guys can see it right there, and uh, and so Rahab is Um, another prostitute, and so she's in Jericho, and God's people are coming to take Jericho, and the spies come in, and Rahab, the prostitute, says, okay, here, hide here. She lies to her people, sends them out because she's heard of their God, and it's like, okay, I don't want to mess with your God, and so she hides the spies, lies to her people about where they are, and then her people get taken over, and Rahab ends up in the line of Jesus. Like, it's crazy. Her act of faith was telling this lie, hiding these spies, and yet God says, includes her in this genealogy. This She is the one through whom Christ comes, and Matthew takes an opportunity to include another woman, another non-Israelite woman, in the story about who Jesus is and how he came. We see Ruth is mentioned here as well, um, and so Ruth comes in. She's the hopeless Moabite w- widow who is like with her mother-in-law, and there's this whole thing where she's Again, like powerless, there's no there's no power, there's no respectability in that family. But God delivers her, and she gets the story, and she becomes an ultimate mother ancestor of Jesus, the Messiah. So we're seeing all this play out. We're seeing a lot of seedy stuff, and we're skipping it in part because um, we just don't have time to cover it, and in part because I didn't study every name on this list. Okay, but we're we're skipping some of them here, and we're gonna keep moving on. Here's the next section. So now this section. That was the that was the upward trajectory, believe it or not. That was the high point, getting up to King David. Okay, and now we're on the downward slope. Okay, and we're going to go from a kingdom where God's people are living, and we're going to go from there, and we're going to slide down to the time when the kingdom is totally lost and God's people are cut off. And here's where it starts. It starts with um, David. It's in verse six. Um, David was the father of Solomon by who? By Bathsheba. No, not even by Bathsheba, by the wife of Uriah, okay? Matthew, again, casting a huge amount of shade. Her name is Bathsheba, but he's calling attention to how seedy and terrible this is. Had Solomon, David had Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And so here is um, Bathsheba and David's the king. He can have whatever he wants. And so he sees this woman and he wants her. And so he uses the power available to him to secure Bathsheba for himself. And he commits adultery with her. And then sends her away and of course then she gets pregnant and so it's that whole awkward situation where you have to have her husband killed so that you're not in trouble for the whole thing and that's again jerry springer to the intent and this is but this is part of the genealogy and matthew is saying like look this is how solomon came to us was from the wife of uriah like he's calling attention to how like the murder the adultery the scandal in this whole thing and, and just like noticing that that's not the fourth woman we've seen in this genealogy and all four of them, not a single one of them, was Jewish. These were not Jewish women. These are Gentiles that are included in the family line of the Savior of Israel, the King of the Jews. Tamar was a Canaanite. Um, Rahab was living in Jericho. Ruth was a Moabite. Bathsheba, it says, was the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And so all, all of these women almost for sure are these Gentile women. All of them had some kind of scandal or loss in their marriages. There's no reason any of them should be in this genealogy but all of us, all of this is showing the brokenness and the fragility of this whole line. Who, how is this king coming? He's coming through all of these people that have been outcast, all these people that have been discounted, all these people that have um, dis, like, um, disqualified themselves from, from like being good enough, being important enough to live in God's line. And the line continues on. What we see is a group of kings that increasingly are just failing at what God has called his kings to do, increasingly going away from God's plan, increasingly going away from God's rule, from the worship of the true God. Instead, they're worshiping idols, and they're turning, when they get into military trouble, they're turning to other nations like Egypt to say, hey, come save us. Let's make an alliance instead of trusting in God. And so we just see the whole thing unravel. And then we go to the next section, the last section here. And here's a whole bunch of people, again, that we, uh, we don't know much about, a lot of them. Um, and uh, this is from the exile to the messianic kingdom. Now this is the exile to the birth of Christ, to the new kingdom of God that he's going to restore. And here is the quietest line of them all, because there's included in here is 400 years of silence where God's people have been taken into exile, and they're just left, and they're hopeless, and just saying, what does it mean for us to be God's people if we're not even around the temple, if we can't be there, if we don't have the kingdom anymore, there's no king ruling over us. But the line continues quietly, and there's things that happen um, outside of the biblical story that we know about, but They're left in this spot of hopelessness, of helplessness, and they're sitting here, and finally it comes down to Methan, to Jacob, to Joseph, who is the husband of Mary. Now we have another woman here. Joseph, the husband of Mary, Mary who became pregnant out of wedlock, okay? And we know, we know, this is by the Holy Spirit. This is the gift the Holy Spirit gave her. She got pregnant without the normal means, and, um, and so here is this happening, but we know that, but nobody else at the time would have known that, right? Mary's sitting here, and she's a single mom in a society where that's not okay. It's just not okay. And so even Joseph is like, I'm engaged to her. I'd better just, like, put her away quietly. I'll be nice about it, but I'm going to, like, divorce her before this whole thing gets out of hand so that there's no shame and disgrace and everything. But God comes and says no. And, and the reality is, is that this, man, Mary... Um, the the disgrace of her being a single mother in that society at that time, like there's rumors, it doesn't look great, people talk about it. Jesus doesn't care. God doesn't care about that. God doesn't care about the rumors. God's like, this is how I'm choosing to work. I don't care how it looks to people around me. Jesus lived his whole ministry that way. He would hang out with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes, and he didn't care how it looked to other people. He didn't care what they whispered or said about him. But we know that that was a topic of conversation. In John 8, there's this time where um, the Pharisees are there, and they're talking about Jesus. Jesus says, um, hey, your real father is the devil, which which is harsh for sure. But the Pharisees deserved it. And they responded back and said, what are you doing talking about our father? We weren't born illegitimately. And the implication is like, you know, like you. We know about you and how you were born. God doesn't care. Jesus just comes through Mary, through this situation, and Jesus comes quietly. I mean, literally, like, born in a barn, set in a manger, right? Just there's no, nobody there to like mark, like this is amazing, the Messiah has come, the kingdom has been restored, none of this. It's just quiet and it's under these kind of suspicions. There's this disgraceful feeling. And finally from that is uh, Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. So Jesus who is called called Christ. And Christ we know is not Jesus' last name, although it kind of sounds like that at times, right? We think he's Jesus H. Christ or something like that. Nope, that's not. Jesus Christ, Christ is the Messiah. Christ is the Greek word that it translates the Hebrew word Messiah. And so he is the Messiah. He's the king that's coming, the one that's going to stand, sit on the throne of David, stand in David's place, rule over God's people. He's the king, the king that's coming that we've all been waiting for. And in this whole thing, it's his big ultimate lead up. And Matthew is sure to show us through these 14s, this big, ultimate lead-up to God is going to do something huge through this person, but he's signaling by all of the kind of shady stuff that he intentionally draws our attention to, there's something different about how Jesus is coming to be born. He's going to come not in grandeur. He's going to come in all kinds of humility. He's going to come to his people, and they're going to reject him, right? He's going to come, and he's going to love his enemies. He's going to come, and the religious people of the day, are rather than lifting him up and promoting him, they're going to cast him aside. He's going to come, and the political powers are going to literally put him to death. But he's going to come, and he's going to invoke the kingdom of God in a way that we've never seen before. And I love this because, Matthew, in, in, in these two chapters, we're going to see again and again this contrast between the strong and the weak. What it means to actually be strong and what it means to actually be weak. Like This is constantly being inverted, and so we see kings, in this story, and, and the, the strong ones are actually the weak ones, and the weak ones are actually the strong ones. We're going to see um, Gentiles coming in just in the same way that Jesus has Gentiles in his family history. We see um, the Magi, the, the wise men. They're coming from the east. They're, they're Gentile, like important people from Gentile lands coming and worshiping and showing that even from the beginning, Jesus is not just a king to the Jews, but to the entire world, and we see all these things that God is doing that don't look impressive to us at all. That look like weakness. They look like shame. They look like disgrace. And yet God is working in the whole thing. So if you could look back with me over this whole thing, if you've got your text in front of you, look back over this whole list of names. Who can spot the point in the story where God's plan falls apart? It's a trick question. Julia's nervous laughter tells me. It's a trick question. You guys know. It's a trick question because despite all the scandal and everything in there, there's not a point in this whole genealogy where God's plan falls apart, right? I mean, there's... There's murder, there's adultery, there's all kinds of crazy things happening. There's a loss of an entire kingdom in there, but there's not a point in that entire story where God's plan falls apart, because God is working, and God's whole thing was, let's bring it to Jesus, let's show people what humanity is meant to be, let's heal what's been broken in this world, let's restore the kingdom in a way that nobody will expect to see, and so God is working even at the times, and I'd say maybe especially at the times where it seems like nothing's happening. And so we watch and we wait, right? And Advent is about watching and waiting. And what is God going to do? How are the prophecies going to be fulfilled? How is God going to do the things that he's doing in our lives? We don't know. And everything we might guess, that looks a lot like God working. Often it's not, right? And often the things that feel the most broken and hard, and when we feel the most weak and broken down, we see that's the moment that God was at work, shepherding his people, bringing them through. And I'm reminded as I look at this, this list of names, long list of names, Every single one of these names is a baby that was born, right? Teenage years that were lived, parenting fails and successes and joys, um, highs and lows and ultimately a death. Every single life in this list, there's so many things that Matthew didn't record. And there's people that Matthew left out so he could fit it into his 14 schemes, right? (laughs) There's this whole thing going on where God is just working one life at a time. And we think of this Christmas season, I think of what feels hard for me this year compared to last year, and I think, you know what? my life is just such a blip. It's just a tiny thing, but God is doing big things, and here's the other point that I see from this. God cares about every person on that list. You think of Rahab, you think of Tamar, you think of Bathsheba, you think of like every one of these women and men in this list, God cares about immensely. Francis Schaefer, whom I love, um, would always talk about, it. he says, there's no little people in the kingdom of God. No, nobody is too small. God cares about every single one. And so the story that he's writing and all, every, all of us sitting here, all of us watching along online, like God cares about the details about what's happening. And I, I've let you guys in on my love for Mr. Rogers. And I'm just going to show you my Mr. Rogers socks that I'm wearing today say you are special on them, okay? <laughs> now, Mr. Rogers takes some heat, okay, for, for saying, because look, if, if you're all special, right? If everybody's special, what does that mean? It means nobody's special, right? If everybody's special, then nobody's special, okay? But here's, here's the twist, and I need to come to the aid of Mr. Rogers on this. Here's the twist. If there's one person that is special, it's God, right? So what if God is the only one who's special, but what if God made millions, billions of people in his likeness to be like him? And God is special, and so what if he made each of us to be special in a million different ways, and we really are, and God cares about who each of us are, and all of our details, and all of the successes and failures, and so I just, I, I we start this Christmas season, and I want to see the big kingly themes of what Jesus is doing, but I also want us to just be reminded of this, it doesn't matter what you're facing this Christmas season, man, maybe for you guys, it's a huge success of a Christmas season, and I hope it is, like, I hope it's amazing for you guys, If it is, that's great. Just live in that, enjoy it, because it won't last forever, right? You're going to have a bad Christmas sometime. If you guys are walking into a more difficult Christmas season than you've had in a while, or maybe it's just one in a long line of tough Christmases, through family dynamics, through poor health, um, through uncertainty of things, through the, I don't know, there's just so many reasons why there's loss of people that we love that that haunt us around Christmas time. I mean, that's really true. And so as we step into all that, remembering that, Christmas being meaningful, and Advent meaning what it needs to mean to us, has nothing to do with how strong we are. It has nothing to do with how great our circumstances are. has no idea has nothing to do with the great presents that we do or don't get. Right, the great trips, our health, or whatever. Right, it's simply about this. We we've talked about it the last few weeks. We are jars of clay, these fragile clay, unimpressive jars. But inside of us, God has placed this immeasurable treasure that just shines through in our whole thing. is: let's just carry that treasure. Let's just be who we are. We're just clay jars. We're fragile. We're going to fall apart. There's all this brokenness in the family line of Jesus. We've got plenty in our own too, right? And plenty in ourselves. And so let's just carry that and just recognize, okay, when I'm weak, it's going to hurt. But let's watch for the ways that God will work and act and move, I think, in miraculous ways this Christmas season. Things that we think can never happen, we'll see God do it as he just carries us through and as he presses us on, and as he uses us in ways that we can't imagine. So let's, um, we're going to sing a little bit more too. I'm going to invite the band back up. And, um, but let's just pray. And let's ask God to work this Christmas season. Lord, I'm so thankful for who you are. And thank you, Lord, that who you are includes everything that we just read. And, and so many names that we didn't even take time to mention this morning that you mentioned this passage. But those that you do, Lord, so many broken, hurting people so many people that broke and hurt other people as well. And Lord, I just see in there all this struggle, all this weakness. I'm sure there were so many moments of doubt year after year, generation after generation, as you just quietly worked, Lord, and you kept your line going. And so, Lord, I just pray for us. Lord, I I know some of the things that uh, some of our family members here are facing this Christmas season. Loss of loved ones, um, really difficult relational family dynamics. Um, loss of of job, uncertainty about all kinds of things. Lord, I know that many in our church family are experiencing those things, and there's so many things that I don't have any clue about. And yet, Lord, you know, because there are no little people with you, and you care about each one of them. You've made them to be special. You've made them to be your children. And so, Lord, I just pray right now that you would work in miraculous ways this Christmas season. And Lord, as we go by day by day and week by week, um, stepping closer and closer to the time that we celebrate the birth of your son. Lord, I pray for miracles. I pray for healing physically. I pray for healing of family relationships that have been so broken that we don't know how to even begin or how to even hope or pray about it. Lord, would you heal and restore? Would there be reconciliation with us, with family, with friends, with people that we haven't seen in a long time? Lord, may you provide joy in situations where it seems like all hope is lost. And Lord, you are so good and you have done that so many times and yet we always lose sight. And so Lord, just be present with us this Christmas season. Help us to keep our eyes on you. And may you just invite us into this amazing waiting and watching and celebrating time this year. We pray this in Jesus' name.